Hey, I want to welcome you to the Marty McLean Podcast. This is episode 15. Today's topic, should a Christian be involved in politics? Now, isn't that a good question? Especially today. You know, a lot of times I want to stay away from politics. I don't want to have to talk about politics. I mean, I'm a pastor. But what I have discovered is that you can avoid politics, but politics will not avoid you because your life is going to be affected by political decisions that other people are making. And we live in a country where we can vote for those who represent us. Uh, we can vote for our mayor, our governor. We can vote for our representative. We can vote for our senator. And ultimately, we can vote for our president. So we do live in a, a country where we do have that freedom. So the arena of ideas is extremely important. And government the policy that is passed by those who are in power, and as it is implemented in our lives, it will have a trickle-down effect. It will have an impact upon your life, whether you like it or not. Now, I don't want to have to talk about politics, uh, but, you know, you just have to address issues. And as a minister, there's one thing that I, I have to always be aware of, and that is the Johnson Amendment. Of course, if you're not familiar with the Johnson Amendment. It was passed uh, back in 1954, and it was named after then Senator Lyndon Johnson from Texas. This is prior to him becoming our president. And basically, what it says is those organizations or churches, nonprofit organizations that are exempt from taxation are quote, absolutely prohibited from directly or indirectly participating in or intervening in any political campaign on behalf of or in opposition to any candidate for elective public office. That goes along with your 501c3 uh, being tax exempt. So if, you know, as a minister, I, I'm not going to uh, endorse anybody I am going to talk about issues, and, and remember, this is the Martin McLean Podcast. The views I express are my own. But you've got to talk about issues in our culture today because the issues that are in our culture today will impact you as an individual, and it will especially impact your family and your children. So you better be concerned about what's going on in Washington, D.C., and you better be concerned about this presidential election. So let me say this. If I'm going to talk about politics and I'm a minister, I need to get it from the Bible. I need to see, hey, what exactly is the role of government? What role should the government play in the life of a nation? I mean, you've got to have government. It's one of the three institutions ordained by God. You have the family, you have the church, and you have government. The government is to provide for the common defenses. You know, it says in our, our uh, founding of our own nation, but basically, the government needs to promote good and punish evil. That's, you know, that's one that you want to kind of summarize it all. Uh, l let me read something to you from Romans 13, 1 through 4. It says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment upon themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister to avenge and to execute wrath on him who practices evil. So we see right there that the role of government is to promote promote good and you know 
to protect the people. And you've got to do that. You, you've got to provide you know, property rights, as we see in America. We expect the government to have laws enacted where we can protect our property because that's the type of nation we have. We, we do have private property ownership. Uh, we want the government to punish those who do wrong. We have to have laws. They have to be enforced. And that's kind of what we expect from government. And now I know that when, I, when I'm saying all this, I'm being very simplistic. Now, there's a lot more involved with that. Of course, with government, we are going to have to pay taxes. Jesus himself was asked, hey, should we pay taxes? And, you know, it was a loaded question when they asked Jesus. And what did Jesus say? He said, hey, give me a coin. He looked on the coin and said, whose inscription is on this coin? Whose image does it bear? They said, Caesar. Jesus said, therefore, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and unto God the things that are God's. So if Caesar has his image on that coin, give him back what he wants. But you have to understand, he was also saying, you bear the image of God, so you need to give yourself back to God. You have a responsibility before God. But that's, that's a whole nother topic right there. But here's what it also says about government, about our way we should approach it, what we, how we should view it if you're a Christian. 1 Timothy 2, 2, I mean, 2, 1 and 2 says, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications and prayers, intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. So we want the government to provide protection, provide, promote peace, provide protection, defend the good. We want that from government so that it, there will be a system in place and protections in place so that people can live their life, so people can thrive, so people can en enjoy the creation that God's given us and, and live lives that honor God and that government would not infringe upon God-given rights. And that's another thing that you know we have at the founding of our nation and that we hold to is that our rights come to us from God. Our rights are God-given. They are not conferred upon us by government. It's government's responsibility not to infringe upon our God-given rights. That's kind of how the establishment of the United States went. And let me just add this. Uh, Christians are to obey the laws that govern their nation. We may not like all of them, but unless a law directly infringes upon what is explicitly stated in Scripture, then we are to obey what the government says. First Peter 2, 13 and 14 says, Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors or to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. So once again, government is to punish those evildoers and to give praise to those who do what is good. And we as citizens of the United States of America, if you're an American listening, I know I've got people from other nations that'll listen, but we are to obey the laws that govern our land, unless that law goes against God's law, as we see in the New Testament in the book of Acts, when they were told not to say anything else about the name of Jesus. And they said, look, we got to obey God more than you. And they were willing to take it on the chin or on the back, as it were, because they were going to share the name of Jesus. It's, it's a greater command. They've been given the command to go and make disciples of all the nations. Jesus said in Acts 1.8, you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the outermost ends of the earth. So they had to obey the commands of God over the commands of government. So that's only when a Christian should have civil disobedience is when there's a direct violation of a command from Scripture, much like uh, in the Old Testament, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they refused to bow to the to the big idol that Nebuchadnezzar wanted everybody to worship. And they said, we're not going to worship. And he said, well, I'm going to burn you. And he threw them in the 
furnace and they didn't burn and they came out. So you've got to be willing at times if there are laws that contradict what Scripture says to not do them, to have civil disobedience with the right spirit, with the right attitude, and then trust yourself to God. But for the most part, laws that govern our nation are not in direct defiance of Scripture, so we, we, should, we should be model citizens. But with the type of government we live in as well, where we elect our representatives and our representatives go and they make laws, we have a, 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 the potential of putting good people in places of decision-making that can have laws that do not infringe upon our free exercise of religion or do not make us violate our conscience or anything like that. And that's getting more and more of the case in the day in which we live. So if we are living in a nation where we can elect people who can pass laws that are good, then, you know, we need to see about getting good people in politics. We need to see about Christians running for elective office. Why? Well, Proverbs 14.34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Proverbs 29.2 says, When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice, but when a wicked man rules, the people groan. So I think it does make a, a difference when somebody who is righteous is in authority, when somebody who knows God, somebody who has a biblical uh, framework through which they are processing life through, I think that that person has a better chance to enact laws that are in agreement with the God who created us. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Now, we are not a theocracy in America. We do have the separation of church and state, but I don't believe that there is a separation of state and God. Because if you read the Bible, all these nations are going to be answerable to God. They're all going to have to answer. I mean, you look in the book of Revelation— there's a time where, I mean, he's going to judge the nations. Uh, and the great uh, prophecy that was spoken uh, in Isaiah, uh, unto us a, a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. So we're talking about there's coming a time where, where God's going to rule and reign over this earth. Now, right now, his kingdom's within his people. That's, you know, God's kingdom is within his people. But there's going to become a time where God will rule and reign on this earth. And God still does hold nations accountable for their actions. I mean, think about the children of Israel when they came into the land of Canaan. God was judging those, the Canaanites. He was judging those nations. And he talked about it. he was judging the nations. There were times where God would speak to a Jewish prophet like Jonah and tell him to go to a pay a secular nation like Assyria and say, God's going to judge you. Nineveh, God's going to judge you. And they would have to respond to the word spoken through the prophet. So God does hold nations accountable, and God will judge. There's going to be a judgment at the end of time. So why in the world would, would we want nations uh, to be ruled by people who don't have any concept of God? I don't understand that. And I think the good people should get into politics, but a lot of times politics has a way of ruining good people. And so people say, you know, I don't want to be in politics because I see all the destruction that happens in politics. Somebody may stay good, but they may their reputation may be ruined through lies and innuendos and, and just people acting, you know, terrible toward them. But I like what Irwin 
Lutzer says, he was a former uh, pastor there at Moody Church in Chicago. He was asked this question. He says, here's the question. Some people say that politics is dirty, and so no Christian should run for office. And here's what Erwin Lutzer, here's how he responds. Quote, I disagree. I disagree. Of course, of course, the name of the political game is compromise, but it is not wrong to compromise on matters such as budgets, appointments, and programs. In politics, you have to be satisfied with a, a half a loaf, which might be better than just crumbs. However, a Christian politician should not compromise those timeless moral principles taught in the Bible. Unquote. So here's the second question. Then, to, to what extent should a single issue such as abortion affect our vote? Here's what Luther says, quote, That is a big one. Whatever a candidate says about other matters, what he or she believes about the killing of unborn infants has to be high on our list of priorities. That and the acceptance of homosexuality are the two greatest moral questions that will come up in a political race. Christians can't be neutral on these issues. So what Lutzer is basically saying is, uh, you know, as a politician, you're going to have to compromise on some things. It can be budgets, appointments, or something like that. But you don't need to compromise when it comes to fundamental issues such as the life of the unborn or the sanctity of marriage. I mean, those are fundamental issues. And, and you know, it kind of segues in what I want to read that Timothy Keller, of course, a pastor in New York, Here's what he says about the Christian and the Christian in politics. He says, quote, So Christians are pushed toward two main options. One is to withdraw and try to be apolitical. The second is to assimilate and fully adopt one party's whole package in order to have your place at the table. And he adds, Neither of these options is valid, unquote. So that is the way Timothy Keller is thinking about politics. So, you know, you know, we're kind of in a two-party system here. You either have to be one party or the other, and you may not be able to accept complete everything from one party or the other party, but there may be one party that you can accept a whole lot more than the other party. And that's where a lot of evangelicals find themselves, and I'll just leave it at that. But I like what the Wayne Grudem says, because, you know, we are looking at issues. We will look at issues, and we'll look at how political parties stand on the issues. The unborn, that's a, that's a big issue. I mean, we're talking about uh, abortion. You talk, we're talking about, you know, nowadays they're wanting to abort a baby up to nine months. And like we mentioned before in a podcast, the words of the Virginia governor, uh, Governor Northam, how he talked about even after the baby was born, which, you know, that's infanticide. It's, you can't get around that. But those are, those are really big issues, and Christians have to speak out on those issues. We have to speak on the issues. And we may not endorse a candidate, but we can sure enough tell you what the Bible says about an issue— and we can tell you where the political parties stand on those issues. But I like what uh, Wayne Grudem says, the theologian, very popular theologian. Wayne Grudem, here's what he says about the whole issue of, of government and the Christian influence within government. He says, quote, If pastors and church members say, quote, I'll let someone else speak out about that, unquote, where will the nation's moral standards come from? Where will people learn about ethics? perhaps from Hollywood movies, from friends at work or at the local bar, from professional counselors, from elementary school teachers. But where do these people learn about right and wrong? The simple fact is that if Christians do not speak publicly about what the Bible teaches regarding issues of right and wrong, then there aren't many good sources for finding 
any transcendent truth, any transcendent source of ethics, any source outside of ourselves and our own subjective feelings and consciences, unquote. So if Christians don't say, hey, here's what the Bible says about that subject. Here's what the Bible says. And we let people know we're not just making this up. This is what Scripture says. This is what the most popular book, the best-selling book of all time, the foundational book of Western civilization. This is what is contained in Scripture. This is what the Bible says about that subject. And we need to do so in a very, uh, a very unapologetic fashion. We never. Let me just say this. I say this sometimes when I'm preaching. Never apologize for what the Bible says. First of all, God does not need you to apologize on his behalf. I mean, he's the creator. He's the sustainer of life. He's the giver of eternal life. Why in the world does he need you to apologize for something he says in the Bible? Don't ever, ever, ever apologize for what Scripture says. Don't ever be sheepish about it. Just say, hey, here's what the Bible says. And let it be at that. Now, here's what's happened in our nation. You had the religious right come up in the late 70s, early 80s. Of course, Ronald Reagan, I think it was, Ronald Reagan says, hey, I know you can't endorse me, but I endorse you. And it was since that time that there's been more and more of uh, conservative evangelicals who have gotten involved in politics and have been part of the political process. Why? 73, Roe v. Wade, uh, they saw the direction of the country and they said, man, we got to do something. Uh, and political people are making decisions that are affecting lives. And so because it's a political pro uh, process and we live in a representative democracy, then it's like, hey, we, we got to start getting the right people in the right places. It just kind of makes sense. But you have to maintain the integrity of the gospel, and you can't have, uh, you can't have Christianity being the same as politics. But you can have Christians in politics. So it's, it's a very fine line that people have had to walk. But what happened is that you had some that started associating Christians with negativity. And back in 2007, uh, Gabe Lyons and David Kinnaman wrote a book called Unchristian. And here's one writer speaking of this book. I'm going to quote from the article he said about the book. He said, quote, they found that young non-Christians have profoundly negative views of Christians. For instance, among the 16 to 29-year-old non-Christians, Christians were viewed as, quote, anti-gay, 91%, judgmental, 87%, hypocritical, 85%, and sheltered, 78%, and surprise, too political, 75%. Then it says, in 2010, respected academics David Campbell and Robert Putnam's landmark book, American Grace, concluded that partisan politics was directly to blame for the rise of religiously unaffiliated Americans. He says, quote, the growth of the nuns, Campbell argued, N-O-N-E-S, not nuns with a habit, nuns, N-O-N-E-S, is a direct reaction to the intermingling of religion and politics in the United States. So what they're basically saying is that in response to the political activity of the religious right, uh, evangelicals, conservative evangelicals, that there were those who started to view Christians with a negative connotation. And because they were viewing them negatively, uh, then what happened is that there were some that they, they took the approach now, evangelical leaders, that, you know what, 
if they don't like to know what we're against, well, it's not we're not against it. We're just saying, hey, this is wrong. This is sin. Uh, that people do need to change. We need to change. We've had to change. We had to repent of our sins. But some started saying, you know, we're just not going to address those topics that they think are negative topics. So we're not going to address same-sex marriage. We're not going to address abortion. And there were some that did take that that track in order to appeal more to the to the nuns, so that they would be like, "Hey, we're going to tell you everything we're for. We're going to we're going to say all this really good stuff and anything that we're not going to talk about anything." But you need to understand something. You know what the first message that Jesus preached when he began his ministry? He said, "Repent and believe the gospel." Mark one verse fifteen. And if you want to go for the other guys, well, you go you go to Gospel of Matthew. Matthew 4, 17, Jesus said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, repent means you're doing something wrong and you got to change. And, and so if, if somebody's beyond, hey, I, I've got to get something right, or somebody's beyond, if they're offended by what Scripture says, and, you know, there's there's an underlying deeper issue. There, It is a spiritual issue going on there. And so, unfortunately, what happened is that in the desire for some evangelicals that they had to want to be more palatable, so to speak, uh, they quit talking about certain topics that may be considered controversial. So consequently, you have a lot of people that are in some of these evangelical churches now that have not been taught a biblical worldview. And they're really even confused themselves about sexuality now in some of these evangelical churches, which is sad. And so what happens is that you still need to say, hey, here's what the Bible says, but you can do it with kindness, you can do it with love, which is the way we're supposed to do it. And I think sometimes some people came across with a little bit more of an edge than they should have, made, maybe not had, didn't have the love in their heart they should have, and that's not right. So whatever we do, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13 that if you do all these things, you don't have love, it profits nothing. So evangelicals need to make sure that we say what we believe, and we need to promote that. We need to you know, pronounce it. We need to let people know, here's what the Bible says about human sexuality. Here's what the Bible says about the, the sanctity of human life. Here's what the Bible says about justice, whatever racism, whatever it may be. We need to be able to tell people, here's what Scripture says. Be unapologetic for it. Don't be sheepish. Don't apologize for God. He needs nobody to apologize for Him. But it's interesting, back in 2009, a document was released by Chuck Colson of Prison Fellowship and Timothy George of the Beeson Divinity School, as well as Roman Catholic scholar and philosopher Robert George. And the name of this article, uh, or this declaration, was called the, Man the Manhattan Declaration, A Call of Christian Conscience. And in this declaration, they outlined three issues that they viewed were uh, under assault in the American culture. They said it was, quote, uh, number one, the sanctity of human life. And the second one was traditional biblical understanding of marriage. And the third one was religious liberty for all people. And so they said back in 2009, these are three areas that are going to be un that are under assault, and we need to guard these areas. We need to make sure that the we don't lose ground in these areas. And, and since that time, well, you've, you, you've lost ground with some of the laws that have been passed pertaining to abortion with some of the states. Uh, obviously, same-sex marriage became the law of the land in 2015 when the Supreme Court said so. <laughs> They just said so, and th there it was. And also, you have the infringement upon religious liberty, a lot of times pertaining to same-sex issues with, with vendors, and also, even now with the pandemic, you have the restrictions that have been placed on some churches that kind of seem arbitrary when you have protesters that are given a free pass, but if you go to worship, you can't do that. So, you know, they were pretty spot on with all this stuff, that 
We needed to watch out for that. And that's why you need to have good people in places of decision making. You need to have people that will make it where the good is rewarded, the evil is punished, where they will make it where there will be a peaceful flow of society, where government will not infringe upon our God-given rights. And getting a better understanding of government infringed upon our God-given rights. I, I like what this guy named Michael Matheson Miller says in his article, Five Insights Christianity Brings to Politics. Here's what he says, quote, Human persons are not radical individuals. We are social beings and flourish in community. We are born into families and into cultures and flourish in communities. At the heart of society is the family. The family is the fundamental unit of society. While the state recognizes the family and has a place in regulating it, family is not simply a construct of the state. It is a natural community and biological and sociological reality that exists prior to the state. This is one reason why the attempts to redefine marriage is an overreaching of state power and ultimately a totalitarian act. The state acts as arbiter of reality itself. If biology can be redefined, what possible limits remain? So when you have evidence in the United States of America of government infringing upon the definition of a family, which he says is true, it predates the government. And so now the government's coming in on something that predates the government and redefining it. And we know you can go to natural law, whatever you want to. People have discussions about that as well. But that's why you want good people in places of position, good people in Play in the places where they make policy, where they enact laws, because it's very, very important. That's why we need to have Christians involved in politics, and Christians do need to be involved in the political process. But you need to do it with kindness and love, and you know you need to do it looking out for the best interests of others. And you know, but you need to be involved. You remember uh, in the Old Testament, when the Jews were taken into exile, and Jeremiah wrote them that letter that said, "Hey, you know, God's got the plans." He's going to prosper you. That was for the people in exile that were never going to be able to come back home. He was telling them, you need to live in the cities where you are right now. You need to make the most of it. And here's what he says in Jeremiah 29, 7. He says, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Pray for the city. Seek the welfare of the nation in which you live. Seek to make it a better place. Seek to be part of the process that enact laws that acknowledge that God is the creator, the sustainer of life, and we want freedom of religion. I mean, we're not, we're not saying that the state is the church. We don't want that at all, but we want the state to get out of the way and not infringe upon our God-given rights. That's, we want a state where it, evil is punished and good is rewarded. It, that makes for a good flow of society. Now, there's so much more that I could say. And when I do these Marty McLean podcasts, I just want to do enough to try to pique your interest to, you know, let you set a course of study for yourself so that you can be interested in some of these topics and and you can do some reading yourself. Don't shy away from the political process. Good people need to be involved in politics. My goodness, good people need to be involved in process. In politics, you need to also be involved with the process of politics. There, there's a lot that goes on with politics, and politics does not have to be dirty. It doesn't have to be nasty. Uh, I believe you can get good people in in the right places, and I believe it does. It does make does make a difference. 
I want to thank you for being with me today for the Marty McLean podcast. I do hope that uh, you will continue to pray for our nation. And if you are a Christian, I hope that you will always speak words of truth. I hope that you speak words of truth in whatever form that you have to speak them in, that you never apologize for anything that's in the Bible, that you speak it forthrightly, that you speak it in love. And I want to encourage you to pray for our nation, to pray for our president, whether you like him or not, to pray for our governor, pray for our representatives, our our senator, whomever is in authority. The Bible says pray for those who are in authority, that we would live a peaceable life. Once again, thank you so much for being with me on the Marty McLean podcast. I hope you have a great week, and we will see you next time.